Hello everybody, and welcome back to Fantasy Breakout, where you can get the best information on players, stats, and storylines. I'm your host, Austin Cunningham, and I'll take you through everything you need to know to break away from the rest of your league. A few quick things before we get into the show. I'm proud to announce that the Fantasy Breakout will now be on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, in addition to YouTube. If you want to show your love for the show, go ahead and follow us wherever you may be listening. Additionally, if you are listening in on YouTube, be sure to hit the notification bell so that you never miss an episode. Now, in today's show, we are going to have three segments to help you have everything that you need to know from around the NFL and to become a better fantasy football player. Did you know that there are four teams left that have never been in the Super Bowl? Today, we will be getting into the playoffs as I review wildcard weekend and what teams have the chance to win the race for the Lombardi Trophy. Then I will talk you through last year's rookies that had disappointing seasons compared to their preseason hype and how their futures look like for fantasy football. In our last segment, we have the final part to our matchup analysis series where we will focus on looking at how many fantasy points per game defenses are giving up to opposing positions. Thanks for listening in. Let's get into it. Before we get into our review of Wildcard Weekend, many of you are probably on the edge of your seats wondering what four teams have never played in the Super Bowl. Well, the answer to that question is the Cleveland Browns, Detroit Lions, Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And let's just get one thing straight. These are not the teams that have never won a Super Bowl. These four teams have never even been to the Super Bowl. The Browns and the Lions both won NFL championship games before the creation of the big game, but they haven't actually been there since the first Super Bowl took place just over 57 years ago. With all that being said, the Lions and the Texans each won their first round matchups and could finally get to the Super Bowl and cross their names off the list of teams that have never made it to the big game. Let's review the wildcard matchups, starting in the AFC. In the first game of wildcard weekend, we had the Browns take on the Texans in Houston. The Texans ended up both outplaying and outcoaching the Browns, as they dominated with a final score of 45-14. to The Browns' defense was no match for the Texans' offense, letting up big plays both on the ground and through the air. C.J. Stroud was electric, completing 16 out of 21 pass attempts for 274 yards and three touchdowns. Running back Devin Singletary also had a great game, averaging 5.1 yards per carry on 13 carries for 66 yards and a TD. On the other side of the ball, the Browns struggled running the ball and only had 56 total rushing yards. Browns QB Joe Flacco also didn't have a great game, completing 34 out of his 46 attempts for 307 yards, 1 TD, and 2 interceptions. The Browns will head back to Cleveland to figure out the nightmare of Deshaun Watson now that Joe Flacco's dream run has come to an end. As for the Texans, their Super Bowl hopes live on as they are set to take on the Ravens in the divisional round. After the Texans game, we had the Dolphins and the Chiefs play an arrowhead in below freezing temps. I don't know where to start. Thanks to the weather, the game gave us many exciting storylines. We had everything from Andy Reid's frozen mustache to Patrick Mahomes' helmet cracking after a big hit near the red zone. The Chiefs ended up getting the win over the Dolphins with a final score of 26-7. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs relied heavily upon Pacheco, Rice, and Kelsey to move down the field. Rasheed Rice had 8 catches for 130 yards and a touchdown, and Kelsey had 7 catches for 71 yards. As for the Dolphins... Well, they didn't do a whole lot of moving down the field. Outside of a 53-yard touchdown catch from Tyree Kill in the second quarter, the Dolphins couldn't get anything going on offense. Tua played poorly, and the lack of a running game didn't do anything to help. After the Dolphins lost to the Chiefs, Tua now has an 0-7 record in games where the temperature peaks at or below 45 degrees. 
The Dolphins have some uncertainty going into the offseason as they need to decide whether or not to give Tua a contract extension. Next up for the Chiefs, they will travel to Buffalo to take on Josh Allen and the Bills in the divisional round. The last wildcard weekend game on the AFC side of the playoffs had the Steelers take on the Bills. After postponing the game initially due to blizzard conditions and paying Bills fans $20 an hour to help clear snow out of the stadium, the game was finally able to take place last Monday. While the game was a lot closer than some people expected, the Bills still ended up with a decisive 31-17 victory. As expected, the Steelers were outmatched by the Bills. Josh Allen played out of this world, completing 21 out of his 30 attempts for 203 yards and 3 touchdowns through the air, as well as adding 8 rushing attempts for 74 yards and another TD. Stephon Diggs finally had a solid game, hauling in 7 catches for 52 yards. This is a positive sign for the Bills' offense after not making him part of the game plan during the last few games of the season. The Steelers went with a hot hand in Mason Rudolph at quarterback, but he only completed 56.4% of his passes for 229 yards, two touchdowns, along with one interception. The Steelers have decisions to make heading into the offseason. They still have to decide whether to stick with Kenny Pickett or whether to acquire a QB, either in free agency or the draft. Luckily for the Steelers, head coach Mike Tomlin has announced that he is going to coach the Steelers again in 2024 which is huge as Tomlin has led them to 17 straight winning seasons. As for the Bills, they get to host the Chiefs in the next round of the playoffs. Next up, let's break down the NFC side of the playoffs. The first of the NFC playoff games had the Packers take on the Cowboys in Dallas. Despite the Cowboys winning 16 straight home games up until the game, the Packers came in and shocked the NFL by beating the Cowboys 48-32. As a diehard Cowboys fan, this one is super tough for me to break down. The Packers were able to do everything they wanted to on the Cowboys' defense, both by pounding out big runs as well as cutting them up through the air. Jordan Love played flawlessly and had a nearly perfect quarterback rating of 157.3. He completed 76.2% of his passes for 272 yards and 3 TDs. Romeo Dobbs connected with Love all day long as he reeled in 6 catches for 151 yards and 1 touchdown. And let me tell you, if there was such thing as a perfect running back rating, Aaron Jones would have got it. He destroyed the Cowboys on the ground, turning his 21 carries into 118 yards and 3 touchdowns on the ground. Instead of making it doomsday for the Packers offense, the Cowboys D made watching the Cowboys game doomsday for Cowboys fans like me. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys struggled for most of the game despite Dak's final stat line being 41 for 60 on passing attempts for 403 yards, 3 TDs, and 2 interceptions. Good stat lines from Lamb, Gallup, and Ferguson were all boosted by garbage time. To rub salt in the wound, the Cowboys announced that they will have head coach Mike McCarthy come back to coach next season. At this point, I just don't see how Jerry Jones is serious about winning the Super Bowl. With all that being said, the Packers played amazing, and their up-and-coming team will travel to San Francisco to take on the 49ers next. Next up, we had probably the best game of wildcard weekend when the Rams took on the Lions in Detroit. It was a close game the whole way through, but ultimately, the Lions ended up squeaking out the win, 24-23. Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown helped rally the Lions to their first playoff victory in over 30 years. Goff completed 81.4% of his passes for 277 yards and a lone touchdown, with St. Brown hauling in 7 receptions for 110 yards. On the Rams' side of the ball, Matthew Stafford was incredible, throwing for 367 yards and 2 touchdowns. Who did most of Stafford's throws go to, you may ask? Well, that would be my favorite player, Puka Nakua. 
It was the Puka Nakua show on the Rams' offensive drives. Nakua set the rookie record for most yards in a playoff game when he caught nine balls for 181 yards in a touchdown. The Rams have a lot of decisions to make when it comes to player contracts next year, but with Sean McVay returning to coach, the future looks bright for the Rams. The Lions will look to make more history this week when they host the Buccaneers in the divisional round. The last game of wildcard weekend had the Eagles take on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. The Eagles were spiraling out of control down the final stretch of the season. After starting 10-1, they lost 5 out of their last 6 games. The Buccaneers continued the Eagles' losing streak after beating the Eagles 32-9. The Eagles' offense struggled to get going despite Devonta Smith racking up 148 yards on 8 catches. My hat goes off to Todd Bowles, Baker Mayfield, and the Buccaneers. After Tom Brady retired in the offseason, they signed Baker Mayfield and clawed their way to winning the NFC South with a 9-8 record. Mayfield has had a spectacular season and played at a high level despite nobody thinking very much of the Bucks heading into the season, largely because they had more than $81 million in dead cap. For any of you that are not familiar with the term dead cap, dead cap refers to the dead money for the NFL salary cap that is guaranteed cash and bonuses for a player who is no longer on that particular team. Baker threw for 337 yards and three touchdowns against the Eagles and will get to lead the Buccaneers into a playoff matchup versus the Lions in the next round of the playoffs. As for the Eagles, their season ends on a very sour note, especially since veterans like Jason Kelsey could very well decide to retire. We'll wrap up our playoff update segment. Next, we have our review of rookies from last year's 2023 draft that didn't live up to expectations in their first year in the league. Some of these rookies may still be able to turn around their careers and succeed in the NFL. Others may not. In this segment, we will review each rookie's year and assess their future outlook. The first disappointing rookie that I want to get into is Panther quarterback Bryce Young. The Panthers traded their ninth overall pick, a 2023 second round pick, a 2024 first round pick, a 2025 second round pick and wide receiver DJ Moore to the Bears for the first overall pick and the ability to choose which quarterback they took. The Panthers ended up using the pick to draft Bryce Young out of Alabama. Over the course of the Panthers' 2-15 season, Young completed 59.8% of his passes for 2,877 yards, 11 touchdowns, along with 10 interceptions. Despite Young's poor first year, I think that he still has a chance to take a step forward in the coming years. Frankly, I don't think that many rookie quarterbacks could be put into Young's position and succeed. The Panthers did a terrible job building around Young. He was sacked a total of 62 times, which is the second most in the NFL behind Sam Howell, who was sacked 64 times. Outside of Adam Thielen, Young also didn't have a great group of pass catchers at both the wide receiver and tight end position. If you think that building around your franchise QB only means getting talented personnel on the field, you'd be wrong. A young franchise quarterback's success also depends on the talented personnel on the sidelines and in the front office. Young had no sense of consistency throughout the year when it came to coaching and play calling. Head coach Frank Reich was fired after just 11 games, and between him and offensive coordinator Thomas Brown, there was constant conflict when it came to who was calling the plays. Panthers owner David Tepper is also not a patient guy and went viral when he threw a drink at a Jaguars fan after a game. At this point, the outcome of Bryce Young's career is very much up in the air, and it will probably all come down to how the Panthers build around Young for next year. The next rookie that let down fantasy players this year is Chargers wide receiver Quinton Johnston. Johnston played at TCU before getting drafted by the Chargers in the first round with the 21st overall pick. 
At 6'4 and 215 pounds, Johnston was looked at as a wide receiver with really good athleticism, but struggled at times to create separation on his routes. Well, in his first year in the NFL, he yet again struggled to create separation no matter who was guarding him, and he also had a number of drops throughout the season. He ended up finishing the year with 38 receptions on 67 targets for 431 yards and two touchdowns. To make matters look worse for Johnston and the Chargers, the two wide receivers drafted immediately after Johnston, Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison, both looked good in their rookie years and played big roles in their team's offenses. Not to mention guys like Jackson Smith and Jigba and Puka Nakua also had great years. Johnston is looking more like a bust by the second, and I don't think he is fantasy relevant going forward. If he doesn't take a step forward next year and show that he can play at the NFL level, it could be the end for Johnston. It's not all doom and gloom for rookie wide receiver Marvin Mims, though. Mims was drafted out of Oklahoma by the Broncos in the second round with the 63rd overall pick. He is a speedster that ran a 4.38 40-yard dash and can line up anywhere on the field. He didn't get a whole lot of work on the offense, but he usually made the most of his limited opportunities. His final stat line for the year was 22 receptions on 33 targets for 377 yards and one touchdown. He also was great on special teams as both a kick and punt returner, even returning a kickoff for a 99-yard touchdown. Mims showed flashes throughout the season both on offense and special teams with a lot of big plays. He is very athletically gifted, and if he takes a step forward in the offseason, then he will only get more of a role in the offense. Next up, we have the second tight end taken in the draft in Michael Mayer. The Raiders took Mayer towards the start of the second round with the 35th overall pick. Mayer was amazing at Notre Dame, setting the record for tight ends in single-season receptions and receiving yards in 2022. He finished his stint at Notre Dame, totaling 180 receptions for 2,099 yards, along with 18 touchdowns. The Raiders had a disappointing year with quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo not playing up to his three-year, $67 million contract. This probably affected Mayer as he finished the year with only 27 receptions on 40 targets for 304 yards and two TDs. I think that Mayer is a very talented tight end who still has a bright future ahead of him. Rookie tight ends usually don't have big rookie years. Instead, they typically break out a little bit later in their career. I think that Mayer could be more fantasy relevant in the next few years. That will conclude the second part of our 2023 rookie review and bring us to the final part of our matchup analysis series. Over the last two episodes, I broke down how to analyze matchups in fantasy football. We focused on how home field advantage and domes affect fantasy production. Be sure to go back and listen to those episodes if you want to get more information on how much weight to put into matchups. The last thing to look at when analyzing matchups is how many fantasy points opposing defenses are giving up to certain position groups. For example, this year you wanted to play running backs that were playing the Cardinals because they were allowing 26.7 fantasy points to the running back position on average. On the other hand, you also probably didn't want to play your RBs against the Detroit Lions, who on average were only giving up 15.6 fantasy points to running backs. It's important to remember that these numbers aren't the amount of fantasy points given up to the starting running backs. These are the total number of fantasy points given up to the entire position group. So for example, if the Lions were playing the Cardinals, Lions running backs David Montgomery, Jameer Gibbs, and other Lions RBs would probably have around 26.7 fantasy points to divide amongst themselves. Of course, it doesn't always work like that. It's just an example of how the metric of defensive fantasy points per game works. Looking at defensive points per game is understandably more effective later in the season when there are more games to look at.
When looking at a start-sit decision in fantasy, fantasy points per game can help look at how your player's output might be affected by the defense. Some players can be matchup-proof, like Christian McCaffrey or Josh Allen, because of their abilities to do more than just run and pass. Players like McCaffrey, who also has amazing pass-catching ability, or Allen, who has a high rushing output, can help them have good fantasy games even against tougher defenses. But, for other players like Matthew Stafford or Derrick Henry that are more one-dimensional, looking at fantasy points per game allowed can help you better predict when they could have a good game. So, to conclude our matchup analysis series, remember to look at whether the game has home field advantage, is played in a dome, or is against a defense that is allowing a lot of points to a certain position. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks for joining The Breakout. If you like the show, please show your support by following the podcast wherever you may be listening. Remember that you can now listen into the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll catch you guys next week as I'll walk you through all the news from across the NFL, break down this year's top 10 quarterbacks, and help you navigate this offseason's coaching carousel. 